Welcome to another edition of Wedding Talk Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Brown from the Bridal Association. Today, we get the pleasure of talking with celebrity event planner Colin Cowie of Colin Cowie Lifestyles. Before we dive in, I just want to remind everyone, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and give us a quick review. It's what keeps us in the rankings. You can also check out the video from today's podcast on our YouTube page. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there. All the show notes and links can be found on our website, WeddingTalkRadio.com. Now sit back and enjoy our interview with Colin. So today we have a very special guest, a, our uh, celebrity wedding planner, Colin Cowie. And now just to give you a little background, I mean, he's been doing this since the early 90s, um, even though he looks like he's probably just about 26, 27. <laughs> um, he's originally from South Africa, and he's worked with people like Nicole Kidman, Oprah Winfrey, Jennifer Lopez, stuff like that. And he's, of course, just an all-around international celebrity wedding planner. He has his finger on the pulse of what's going on. And uh, so I'm just going to turn it over and welcome. Thanks, Colin, for joining us. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show today. Happy to be here. It's amazing how the world, you know, you never know what's around the next corner. So if I just rewind the clock a little bit, uh, in February, I got married in South Africa, and uh, I planned a 10-day wedding and had 176 guests travel from 17 countries around the world, and it was epic from beginning to end. I mean, I was pinching myself. I was so excited because I knew after the wedding and the great honeymoon, and I was headed to the Middle East to do a big speaking engagement, and I realized that after that, I was coming back to the busiest hall with the most amount of parties and events a new television show in production. I'm writing a new book. I've got all these consulting programs going on. And then all of a sudden, the world came to a grinding halt, literally. And uh, we were all sent to our homes. So the interesting thing is, I'm in the exact same position as most people who are listening. I'd probably say that I had the greatest beginning of the year, and it'll be a slightly humble ending to the year, because... <laughs> Every single one of my events has been moved to 2021. And I do a, I love the idea of community versus competition. So every Monday I speak with 20 of my um, formerly known as competitors, but now, now my very good friends. And we're all in the same boat. We're all going through the same thing at the same time. So if we look at where we are and where we're headed, back in early March, I think there was complete confusion and chaos. Uh, some people thought this was going to go away very quickly. Some people thought there'd be a vaccine in three months. We had certain people making tons and tons of promises to us, none of which came to fruition. And, uh, and then we went into confinement. And all of us were sent into our homes, not just us, but every single person on the planet. This has never happened in our lives before. No. It's a very crazy phenomenon. So then I think we started to ask ourselves, why? You know, why were we sent here? And I think if we can just get a little spiritual and philosophical for a while, I believe to each action there is a reaction. And I think that maybe we've been sent home because we've forgotten to be humble and we've forgotten to have gratitude for everything. And I think there's a lot of those two elements missing in so many areas of our life. We move too fast. We take things for granted. And it's incredible to see that I have used this time so well, you know, I've traveled 15 and a half million miles around the world in search of the very best and the very finest on behalf of my clients and to also satisfy my curious nature. 
So I've never, ever been in one spot for 55 days before. <laughs> and it's interesting, something happens, you know, after you've cleaned out every closet and you've gotten rid of all the shoes and the suits that you haven't worn and you've washed your seats, your seats 10 times, you've learned how to use the iron again. Uh, I've been cooking amazing dishes and dishes oh, yeah? I haven't cooked in years because it takes so much time to cook. And I think this is one of the things that we're really missing out on. We run from one thing to the next. I remember we used to watch television shows and you would watch one episode a week and you'd stay in it for, for three months of the season. Now we binge watch something in, uh, you know, in two days and, and, and we just voracious appetites for content and anything that comes our way. So I think we really are, and we'll figure it out, each one of us individually will figure out what is the great realization? What is my take home from this? So I think we have to ask ourselves that question, why? And then I think we've all figured out where we're at, and now we're in the process of what does re-entry look like? And how our industry has been affected, and what are the things that we need to be doing? Some of the things I'm gonna mention now, I hope everybody has done already, because it's so important that we keep our runway as long as possible. And in order to do that, when you say your runway, I mean, it's the ability to keep your business alive, okay? So you need to cut and slash every single expense that you have. You know, let the government pay unemployment because they have deeper pockets than you have and they can take care of your staff longer. Go to your credit card bills and tell them you don't wanna pay for the next three months and you don't wanna mark against your credit. Go to your mortgage and say you want relief for three months. I went to my corporate uh, um, landlord, where I have a, a full floor here in Manhattan, and I reduced my rent from 10x to 2x. Nice. But at the same time, we also want to figure out, do we need all these resources when we come back? I'm going to get back to that point. So go to every single area where you possibly can and cut your expenses to an absolute minimum. Because our businesses get fatter and fatter. You bring another person on for this and another person on for that. And all of a sudden, we're top-heavy. So I think we're in that situation now where we've figured out what can we do to give us the longest amount of runway possible. And you can only do that by cutting your expenses completely. And it also gives us an opportunity to think what and how can we use this downtime effectively. You know, let's think about staying in front of your clients. What are the things you could do? Go back and the interesting thing is, you know, we, nobody spoke to anyone for the last five years. We just texted everyone. I've been picking up the phone and speaking to my clients. The good thing is they always answer the phone because they're sitting at home with nothing else to do. Yeah. Right? So it's been fun to talk to people. And I think it's important to stay in front of people's minds, to stay on the radar, stay in touch with your clients, stay in touch with your creative partners, stay in touch with your vendors, you know, find the best pictures of your last parties and send them to your clients. If they're really good clients, have that picture made into a jigsaw puzzle and send them a jigsaw puzzle that they can use and their jigsaw puzzle could help them cure some of the, the downtime on their side as well. These are all things that keep us in front of our, our, our clients. And I think it's an important thing to do. Look at when you bring your business back. Those of you who have applied for PPP, you know, I don't think it was thought out very, very well. Um, I received my PPP funds. But the interesting thing is, if you look at a graph, like our business was like this and it stopped like this, right? right. Overnight, we went from 120 miles an hour to zero. Right. So now the PPP have told us that you need to bring all your staff back and bring them back at 100% at 100% salary, right? right? So, And you've got two months of runway. Well, the parties didn't come back the way that they stopped. 
at 120 miles an hour, the parties are going to come back gradually over the period of the next year. So how do you use that money effectively? Right. I think you need to figure out how do we do more with less? Do you need as many people if you have? Could you get more productivity? Could you get them to double up on some of the skills? Can you reduce the amount of rent? Do you need the amount of space that you use? What does your business look like when you come back from the coronavirus? Okay, and a couple of things have to happen. You know? Are your stock going to want to get onto a train or a subway and, and put themselves at risk to get to the office? And probably not. We've also read that when the office, we want to make sure that we've got social distancing between the different bays. We've also learned uh, that millennials tend to be more productive when they work from home. So maybe we come up with a new working arrangement where you work at home for two days a week and you're in the office for three days a week. The days that you are traveling to the office, maybe you have uh, scattered travel hours, so you're not traveling in peak times. So we need to look at all the things we can do to make our teams comfortable and safe to come back into the office. If you're working with a staggered arrangement like this, you might not need the amount of space that you're going to need. Right. So I think then we also have to figure out what is the dialogue that we need within ourselves to get ready for the comeback. Okay, so the first thing we need to do is what I started talking about is like we need to get our office spaces up, healthy, and in a great way to receive our staff. So the first chance is to like really work hard to create a safe environment that your team are going to come back and going to work with you dedicated with confidence and with style. The second thing we need to do is now give the team education on what are the coronavirus protocols and principles moving forward. Like how do we greet people? And how do we feed people again? We know that you're not going to be going in there to shake hands and to hug people like we did before. No one will ever shake a hand for the next five years, right? We're not kissing or hugging anymore. We're not serving warm nuts. There won't be buffets anymore. So we have to come up with what are the new protocols and then make sure that our teams have the right vocabulary and they know exactly how to answer questions. The last thing you want is some waiter giving the wrong question, the wrong answer and sending off alarm signals. So... I think that's the second area is how do we prepare the teams to go into the workplace with all the tools that they need from gloves and masks and hand sanitizers and protocols with regards to serving food. And I think the next area is what does the event look like when we come back? Okay. And I know that I've done and participated in virtual parties and events. They're happening right now. I call it the big band aid. Because there's a reason we're in this industry. There's a reason why we love parties and weddings. Because if something happens, when you look into someone's eye, when you can smile at someone's face and you can cheers them and, or drink a cocktail with them, I believe that is the goal we will get back there. It might take 18 months to two years before we do. But we have to now figure out what are the protocols that we now put, this is the third thing, in front of our guests so that they feel that we've done all the right work and that they can entertain and be entertained with confidence and with style. So what does that look like from an event planner's point of view? You know, 72 inch round table. We used to put 10 to 12 people at a 72 inch round table. Yeah. And now recommending you put six people at a 72 inch round table. What does the dance floor look like? Is the dance floor going to be put into 10 by 10 sections with little <laughs> pop-up dance floors and stages? Right. And then what happens when people have had too much to drink and they forget about social, they forget about social distancing? Right? How are we going to handle those situations? Do we have the social distancing police, a couple that go around and remind everyone? 
because we've already seen them when they shut down the beaches in Miami already because people are ignoring this completely. What does our food service look like? We know there'll never be another buffet again, thank God. You know, I'm not a big fan of buffets. I always think that the buffets bring out the worst in people. Yeah. You know, you've got 30 feet of food and there's this syndrome that takes over, it's the vulture syndrome. If I don't put it on my plate now, it won't be here when I come back the next time. Yep. So the meat and the fish and the chicken and the shrimp and the meringues all on the same plate. You know, you might as well put it in a Cuisinart and put a tube down your nose. Uh, it takes away from that experience. So I think the idea of doing these curated food stations where one plate we made at a time for you behind the shield is going to be much more uh, cleaner and much more socially acceptable and within those guidelines. And I'm sure each state and each county will have what their own guidelines as to what we can and what we can't do. So now we have to think through very carefully from the time your guest arrives to the time they leave, what are all the protocols that we need to put in place to get them to come back? So now then let's have a look at the group of people who are our customers, our guests, our consumers, our owners, who are going to come back. I think we can divide them into three categories. The first category are those, like most of us on this call right now, who've been at home for 55 plus days, we want to go out, we want to go and see some fresh blood, and we want to get some entertainment. And so when the country club does open or the restaurant does open, we want to go there and make sure that we have a great experience. And if we feel safe and we feel it's fun and we feel we had a really good time, we'll tell group two. And group two aren't doing anything until they see what group one's experience was. Right. So if we have a good time, and, and, and it's safe and it's glamorous and fun and chic and elegant, group two will come running. And I think they will come because group one had a good time. Group three, I forget about that. I don't <laughs> think group gay are going anywhere. And they're not going anywhere till there's a vaccine and this whole thing has been cleared up, which you know, as we've been told, it could be September this year, it could be two years, and yesterday they said there might never be a vaccine. So right. The one thing I'm learning about this is we were all speculating, you know, 55 days ago, what was going to happen. And now we know less than we knew back then. That's true. Yeah. Completely. So I, I kind of think that's kind of my snapshot as to where we're at with, 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 with coronavirus and, and what it's done to us and what the experience has been for all of us. And uh, what are the things that we're doing right now? And I'm going to keep some bringing me back again to we have to learn what the great realization is. Because yeah. I hope we don't leave. I hope, I hope we don't forget this. You know, never before has mankind been sent home for 60 days. Never, ever once in our lives. I'm never in the history of the planet. So I hope that the good things that we learn from this are the things that stay with us. And I believe if we do all the smart things, we're all being put to the test. We'll look back in 18, 18 months' time to two years' time, we'll look and say, wow, I'm running the best business I've ever run. I'm doing all smart things. I'm running smarter, safer, leaner, more efficient, and I've learned a whole lot more. True. I, I think that there's always a silver lining to all of this, you know, whether it's coronavirus or it is the downturn that we had several years ago or it's 9-11 or you can go back as far as you want. There's always tragedy that comes around in our lives and it's an opportunity to grow. I mean, there's even new business possibilities. Victor, who's in our, in our studio audience here today, he not only does he do um, 
tuxedos, but he also has a server business where he provides servers to caterers. And I think that's a growing area that he's already been doing for a long time. It's a brand new thing, but it's exciting that he's had an opportunity to provide a service that is probably going to become more valuable now. And I, I think, you know, we have also have to look at how parties and events going to come back. I think they'll come back slowly. You know, it'll be dinner parties for 20, 25, 30 people, 40 people, a cocktail party, then 50 people. And then as things start to get more and more relaxed, we'll start to build up again and get hopefully back to a point where we were in the past. But you know, it's, it's true as to, as to what Victory is doing. Let's all look for other areas where we can leverage our brand to find other ways to bring an income. Right. Now, um, Shelly here uh, actually had a question for you about, I, I'll let, actually, I'll, Shelly, I'll let you ask your question. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so on some of the, the different uh, Facebook pages and whatnot, different event players have been discussing the liability issue that we all face. Is um, there been any discussions amongst some of your peers as to um, protecting ourselves, number one, or even getting involved in things like, you know, putting hand sanitizer out, providing masks, um, taking temperatures? Because I kind of feel like on one hand, if we're assuming that responsibility, then we're responsible for it. But if we push that responsibility off on to everybody else, like everybody's in for, the, you know, takes care of themselves, then nothing's going to come back and hit us between the eyes. So has there been any discussion in, in and amongst your peers about that kind of yes, issue? A, a lot, a lot of discussion about this. I, I think one of the things, this is very uncharted territory. We've never been this before and none of us have any of this written into our contracts. Right? So I think, First, and, and I think there's going to be vulnerabilities from um, an exposure from a lot of different angles. First of all, you know, there's the wait staff. You know, I got this virus when I was at a party. So you're liable. Am I liable? Am I not liable? You know, were they tested before they came? Were they not? Were they given all the safety measures? So I think that this is uncharted territory and it's going to get messy before it gets cleaner. Because everyone's going to look to protect themselves. I want to protect myself. I need to protect my business. Okay, I want to make sure that I don't have some client that comes along and says, I got coronavirus at your party. How are you going to prove it wasn't me? Well, I can prove that it was your party because this, this, and this. So this is an area that I think we're going to have to just jump in the deep end and wade our way through until the water finds its level. Until we find something that's going to protect the worker protect us and protect the client. And I'm sure that we'll come up with protocols that say, at a minimum, you know, you've got X amount of hand washing stations available. You've got masks available for everybody. You've got gloves available for everybody. We have to do all these things. It's just kind of really sad when you think about entertaining with gloves Sorry. and masks, and it kind of takes a lot of the shine out of everything. Mm -hmm. But I keep on saying, you know, love doesn't wait for anyone and love never goes out of style. Yeah. So we have to do these things. It'll be interesting when we look at the chronologies of fashion in 15, 20 years' time. And when they say the 20s, 40s, 60s, 80s, 2020, you'll see all of a sudden these masks decorated in feathers and jewels and tassels and fringe, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> as we start to glamorize the problem. But getting back to your issue, I think it's going to be push, shove, and take from all different directions. And then, of course, then you're going to have the venue say the same thing as well, because I've just mentioned four entities. There's probably another four that anyone can point fingers at, right? 
and we live in a very litigious world. So yeah. I think we need to leave this to the attorneys to figure out and to come up and find us a way that there's a common language that would be able to serve and protect all of us mm -hmm. or exonerate us completely. And, and I would imagine that there are going to be certain levels that, you know, if someone arrived at your event and they were temperature checked and all the things were in place, well, then they can't point a finger at you. But if they arrived at the event and none of those protocols were in place, you're now liable and you're now vulnerable and you've now exposed yourself. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, we need to look really, really hard and find all the opportunities we can to instill confidence and instill safety and then add a layer, glamorize those protocols. How do we make them chic instead of like the gloves being blue like you'd see in a surgical procedure? Maybe they're flesh colored <laughs> or maybe they're black. Or yeah. maybe they've got black and they've got manicures painted on them with a big diamond <laughs> ring over them. Maybe our masks will have for women with moustaches. You know, I think we have to have fun with this. We're a little light-hearted. Why not? So what do you think about masks where the bride and groom have a zipper? So they wear it up the aisle, and as soon as it's time to kiss, they unzip their mask. Shelly, I think it's the worst idea in my life. <laughs> I think it's a terrible idea. You know? I think the bride and groom could not be wearing a wasp. They could walk up the aisle on their own. Imagine those pictures showing your daughter in 20 okay. years' time. This is mom in a mask. This is mom yeah. with a zippered mask. This is mom kissing dad. <laughs> a little you. like you were in the, in the thick of yeah. things. Yes, of course. Thank you, Shelly. Oh. Um, one thing just to let to note real guys for everybody who's here, in a couple of weeks, we actually have an attorney coming in um, who's going to be talking all about different protocols and things that we can put into our contract. So I'll let you guys know about that when that comes around. Um, just something to help us out. Um, Colleen with the uh, Fairy Godmother Foundation and also a, a event planner um, has a question for you. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Colin, how are you? Very good, thank you. Happy to be here today. Thank you for being here with us. We actually met uh, several years back at the ISSE conference in Carmel. Oh, that was a good one. It I remember that. It was great. That. We did a lot of drinking, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Don't tell, Con. <laughs> I remember I was on the stage presenting, and people kept on sending me tequila. By the end of my hour, I could hardly join a sentence, but I really was having a lot of fun. It was really fun, and you were great. I mean, I, I learned a lot from you at that conference, really about um, not calling vendors vendors and calling them creative partners and just you know, taking really Perfect. good care of our business partners, and that's, that was a big takeaway for me. Uh, from you. But I, I'm curious, in your eyes, we've got a lot of fall events that were kind of in this holding pattern. Do you think, would your recommendation be to say, okay, go ahead and move them. I just don't chance it. You know, like in New York, they're telling us that you can't have events with more than, with more than 50 people in a room. So I would imagine that this is not going to be, there's not going to be a solution by the end of the year. Okay. I have one event for December the 27th to the 30th of December. Uh, it's a wedding that we're still holding on to. I have a pretty good idea it's gonna move. Every single event that I've had this year has moved eventually. And you know, a lot of the nonprofits kind of like stay in the games. Let's wait, let's wait to the last minute, let's wait to the last minute. And then we ended up actually moving everything to next year. Okay. I think it's better to be safe than to be sorry. And as the plan, I think it's your responsibility to go to the client and say to the client, listen, I really need every cent for my business right now. But I think you're going to have a much better event and a better turnout of people if we have it next year. 
Like you might go ahead and say, I'm going to do my event. My event is for 150, 250 people. But you think 250 people will think that you've done a good enough job and it's safe enough for 250 people to come to that event. Okay. Because you want the guest experience to be a good experience, right? Right. And literally, I, when I speak with my contemporaries, I mean, every Monday at 4 p.m., I speak with all of them. And there's like 20, 21 of us on the phone every, every Monday for an hour. We're all in the same boat, every single one of us. And there's very little work left this year. There's some of them who are you know, doing remote Zoom graduation parties and things, but nothing that's really going to move the needle. And do you call and recommend calling each one of them individually and just kind of softly selling this idea to them? Because right now my brides, a lot of them are just being very stubborn and they don't, they don't want to move. But I yes, need the, the way that I've done. So listen, I just need to have, you know, sometimes you have to have the difficult conversations. I need to have that conversation with you now. We're in the beginning of May, your wedding's in October. This is what's happening in the rest of the industry. This is what's happening in the travel space. This is what's happening in the event space. I'm not saying we move it, but I'm saying we should be prepared to move it. And we okay. should at least look for a spring date. Okay. And today is the, uh, the, the 6th of May. I need to make a decision on the 15th of June. Okay. Right? And that way you can give them a decision. I want, to, I, I, I want to do this for you. I want you to have a great wedding. But do you really want everyone at your wedding six feet apart wearing a mask? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. That's good. I like that. Um, so how do you see us reinventing ourselves going forward? I mean, it's, it, again, like we talked about earlier, it's an opportunity to make changes, um, cut the fat. And, and that's one of the things I thought was really interesting that you talked about a moment ago was I, I kind of thought about early adopters when the new iPhone comes out or the new this or that, there's those first wave of people and then those that go, oh, it works. Okay, now I'll take advantage of it. And on our end, we are bringing in a decent income. We're, we're making a good living. So we go ahead and get the extra this or we do this, that, and the other things that we don't necessarily need that we cut back on. So those things are great ideas on trimming the fat, so to speak, but on reinventing ourselves after this, what, uh, what do you see? What are you doing? What do you think uh, is, a, is good things to do? For me, my big focus is to keep my business healthy and to keep my business awake, open, and alive, and to do it with the team that I have in place. I might have to trim. Um, I think we all do. As I said earlier, and I don't think this PPP was well thought out at all. This was a great idea, but nobody like really went down onto a granular level. Maybe they'll make some adjustments. Maybe they'll do a second one. But for me, my biggest take home is running my best business and being able to present the best version of myself and to be able to use this downtime to do everything from cleaning the office to going through the files, updating your website, updating the galleries, all those things that you haven't had time to do in the longest time. Make sure that the pencil is sharp, you get to dot the I's, cross the T's, and get ready for a comeback. Realizing that it's going to be a very gradual comeback. Right? It's not going to come back with 100 events overnight. It's going to come back waiting to see what that first group did. And if that first group had a, had a good experience, then I think it might get very busy very quickly. Awesome. <clears throat> so I, on a little more fun note, like we talked about in the very beginning, you got married back in, in February. Um, how was it planning your own wedding as opposed to having to plan and take guidance from your clients? You are your own client. So of course, 
sky's the limit, you know? How was that? Well, I'm an extraordinary client. I'm actually an amazing client. <laughs> because I make decisions and I don't change my mind and I was happy to pay for it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I figured I waited so long. It's the first time I've gotten married. I wrote 10 books on the subject. I might as well do it properly. So it literally was, <clears throat> pardon me, it literally was well over a year of planning. I was engaged for you. I actually started planning the wedding before I did the engagement. <laughs> it was an incredible experience. I, inv I set up a, a, a website to invite all of our guests and said, we're inviting you to come and experience South Africa through our eyes. So some people were there for 10 days, some people were there for seven days, but basically we had 176 people from all around the world. We started off on a safari and then went to another safari camp where all 176 came. And on the second night, the party was themed glamouflage. Come dressed as your favorite exotic animal. So here we are in the middle of a 225,000 acre game reserve with no fences, with lions and elephants and hippos all around us and set up this insane like Africa burn party in the middle of the bush. And the costumes were phenomenal. And I, you know, I wanted to give a, a great African taste. So we had African storytellers and I really used the rainbow kitchen, which is what we call our cuisine in South Africa. So everybody exposure to all the different types of cuisine. The next day we flew all of our guests to Cape Town and they checked into a variety of different hotels. And we did a welcome reception, uh, which was kind of a fun cocktail party in, in Camps Bay. And then the next day we did an insane beach party. One of those decadent beach parties that starts at noon and finishes at 9.30 at night. Nice. It was really good. Really, really good. A fun party. Because the one party that I could get wasted and crazy at because I had to be pretty well behaved after that. <laughs> so it was a good one. And then we moved all of our guests, third time, to the winelands in Boschenwald and, Stachenwald, and, and Stellenbosch, which is very beautiful. We did a big family dinner on the Friday night rehearsal and the wedding was epic. Um, we did it on this incredible vineyard called Boschenwald. And I wanted to rewrite the wedding as we know it and didn't want to do anything stereotypical. So we got chosen to get made on this huge, massive field with the most exquisite mountains in the background. Um, we walked down the serpentine aisle. I had a 22-piece orchestra. And I found, Danny, my husband is Argentinian. So I found an Alba Maria piece of music with African drumming underneath. So I performed that live and had a soprano get up in the third row in the first seat and just start singing the Alba Maria. It was an insane moment. Wow. Uh, and then did a, you know, we did an interesting things. So instead of exchanging rings, we exchanged these incredible, beautiful gold bracelets that were screwed on so they will never ever come off, uh, which is better than, you know, we thought it different from doing a ring. Um, a really fun, and then my friend Naeem Khan did all the girls' bridesmaids' dresses, which were really beautiful, the fashion designer. We did an incredible Dom Perignon Rosé cocktail reception out of this huge big ice urn. And then we went in for dinner. And dinner was, I really did, since it was a full night. We went from 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 in the morning. So wow. dinner was a, a seated dinner, a four-course dinner. And we started off with an incredible pianist performance. Danny's best friend is the number one concert pianist in Europe. So she performed. We had this incredible dinner, the most heartwarming teach as toast and speeches. And then we finished off after my toast with the four tenors performing. And we went out to another space and we danced from there until one o'clock in the morning. And at one o'clock in the morning, I took everyone into it, built and designed a nightclub 
we went to the nightclub and we were there till I left like five and some people left at 7.30 in the morning. Wow. And then the world changed. <laughs> and then the world changed and you got the longest honeymoon ever. And Carl, think about it. Think about it. I mean, if we were one week later, people wouldn't have wanted to travel because we, 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 we went to a very glamorous fishing village called Paternoster and we were there for one week. Mm -hmm. And after that, I had to go and speak in Dubai at the Engage conference. And then when I was traveling through the Middle East, you saw a mask and you saw the world literally shutting down before your eyes and it came back into the whole different world. Wow. One week later, I wouldn't have gotten married. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's just, you just don't know what tomorrow brings. You no. just don't. But very grateful that I had what I had on 2-02-2202. Exactly. That's amazing. And, and like I said, you got the longest honeymoon ever. It's well, I had one honeymoon, then I did the Dubai, and then we, we had three days in St. Bart's, which was supposed to be in a week, and then they kicked us off the island. We came back here, went into Shutter, and I figured, oh, this is my third honeymoon. I'm now day 55. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. So you said you ha you're working on a, a new TV show or series. Is that right? We're working on the concept of a show, which is very interesting. Obviously, now all television has just shut down completely because you can't produce right now. But I'm working on a, on a very interesting book, um, titled at the moment, Above and Beyond, How to Stand Out in the Crowd. And the reason I started writing this book, it's being published, I have a major publisher behind me, was I think we had a space in the world today where there's more product and more services than we will ever need, right? When you look at the amount of luxury product coming down the market, the line, it's like just the amount of services, but the consumer base is not growing in proportion to the amount of product. So you're either gonna develop the best product and charge whatever you want for it, or you're gonna fall into the masses and get what you can. I think that the COVID-19 has fast forwarded that by five years. Yeah. I mean, there are 17,000 airplanes on the ground right now. And an airplane is designed to be in the air, not on the ground. That means that 17,000 planes are not earning every single cent that they're in the air. And we've heard that only 50% of them will come back. And that of those, majority of them will not bring back, will, will not bring back all up to 70% of the international routes. So traveling the way that we used to travel is over. Also, it's going to get a lot more expensive because they're going to have to lose a third to a half of their seats to, to be able to have social distancing or spend a lot of money in building these plastic booths that go around with you know, two seats to the front and one to the back. I think right. this is all and nothing is going to happen until the airline industry has proven to us that it's safe to fly. Just like we're talking about what the protocols that we need to do, that's what they need to do. Otherwise, there'll be no destination weddings. Who's going to want to get on three planes to fly to a private island somewhere or to an island somewhere for that matter? So I, I think, you know, that airline industry is, is changing. We know that 20 to 30% of the hotels and restaurants will not open again. So there's going to be so much ground floor real estate available in all these cities and countries. And it's, I don't even think we've realized what a loss we've had because some people are still holding on. But by the end of this, there'll be a major clean out which means that my book, the premise of my book was just fast forwarded by five years. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the opportunity here is really to be able to deliver proactive customer service 
and hospitainment. I think those are two areas that will allow us to stand ahead of the crowd and be able to get what it is that you want, need, desire, and most importantly, what you deserve. Yeah, for sure. That, and that sounds like an amazing, and when, is, when are you the book, hoping? The book, the book is ready for publishing end of next year. Okay. And, um, and now of course I'm writing a layer of COVID that fits on top of this. Right. I think this is around for a while. And you know, we, we, it's how do we deliver customer service proactively, but now safely and elegantly as well. Adding those yeah. two years to it. We've got a lot ahead of us to think about and work on and prepare for, really. Like I said, because you said, the, and we all agree, the industry is changing yes. because of this. If there's one thing I know, is that the consumer comes back smarter every single time. You know, I've been through two crashes in the 80s. I survived 911. I survived 2010. So this is, oh, here's another one, right? Um, and I think these put us to the test. And, and having survived these, you, you, you learn what your best business practices are because you'll always find light in the dark, right? Because business yeah. leaders, that's what we're meant to do, to, to be able to keep things positive and to keep our collective positive so that we, you know, kind of manifest that type of environment around us yeah for sure all right well is there anything that you want to share with us or you can open up the questions real quick if somebody has a question for you i'm happy to open up questions we're into this for 40 minutes it sounds like a good time yeah exactly so does anybody have a a question for colin um Pauline, would you like to ask something? I I was going to go ahead and bring you in i can see you there (laughs) sure i would love to know what your favorite event has been to plan, Colin, and why? Besides your wedding. wedding. Yes, <laughs> those ombre so dresses were beautiful. It was so much fun because I just, I woke up at four o'clock every morning and you know, I had a, a team in my, 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 two of my best producers were out on the West Coast. So they got the information. Then I worked with my creative team in, here in New York and then I had a team in South Africa. And every day I was like, oh my God, what's he got for us now? <laughs> and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And because, you know, it, it was our, our greatest hits, not our latest hits. There were no plus ones. I mean, it was 176 people. It's what I set out to do in the beginning. And every single thing went exactly like we wanted to, according to plan. It was, I never, ever thought I was ever going to get married. And I kind of thought like, we're in the business, this is what we do. We do this for other people. I didn't realize it was going to happen to me one day. So, and I had the best, best, best time. And I kept thinking, oh my God, what do I do afterwards? What do I do afterwards? <laughs> Survive a virus. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, thought, I thought I was going to be able to showcase my wedding and all the world. And I felt a little embarrassed showing all these glamorous pictures and half the world is like, you know, having an, an adverse reaction. So uh, that was by far my best event, without a doubt. Awesome. And I'll ride on that one for a while, I'm sure. Absolutely. But my usual answer to that question is it's the next event, right? because that's what your client wants to hear. And, and everyone wants to know that that's where, and that really is where your focus is. It's on the next event. So my next big event that we had was a wedding coming up in London. So it moved from London. We postponed the date to later in London and we postponed it to a springtime. And now I said, you know what? We shouldn't be doing things in other countries. We should be spending locally. We should be supporting our local economies. That's where we need to spend the money. So I've kind of convinced 
three of my clients who wanted to do things out of the country, I said, let's do it in the US. I said, we've got a huge country here that we can do anything we want. But I think it's time we supported the local economy versus going to support someone else's because we know there's a, there's a, there's a price tag for everything. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Go ahead. Con at a lot of conferences and are there a couple of highlight conferences that you feel are, because I know Engage is huge, definitely a goal of mine to attend. Are there any other conferences that you highly recommend? I love conferences and I love industry events because you know, something magical happens when we get together collectively and we get to smaller groups, we get to talk, it's best business practices, and we get there to inspire and to teach one another and to learn from one another. So Engage for me is, is a fun experience. It always is. And I've always, I mean, I was one of the, I think I spoke at the very, very first event that they had in Turks and Caicos. And, and, and I've been a, a big supporter for all these years. Uh, I think the DWP does a good job. I'm speaking there November the 7th in, in Greece this year. Um, Ride Lux in London, out of London, I think they do a very good job. You know, some people focus more on, 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 on B2C, so it's kind of like the consumers in front of the industry. Some are more B2B. I like the con, and, and what I've been doing a lot now, a lot of my focus is on hospitality. I have a hospitality consulting company, so I really enjoy the international luxury hotel conference, finding out what's happening there, best business practices from other people, because it's a big focus of mine on, on, on hospitality. And outside of this arena, I've worked as a creative director for several real estate projects, uh, hospitality projects. And it's something that I love to do because I get to take my entire skill set and put it under one roof. And instead of it being over in nine hours, and then with a tent coming down on Monday morning, it's something that continues. And it's, you know, this 35 years of intellectual property has turned into protocols and principles of how to run your best business possible. That sounds like the title of your next book, <laughs> Principles and Protocols. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shelly had another question for you. So Shelly, go ahead. Hi, Shelly. Hi. Um, is there a central sor uh, source of information that you tend to go to to keep you in the loop of what's happening in the industry? just in terms of direct, the direction that the industry is going in or just information in general? No, not that I know of, and I'm sure that, and I'm sure that there are, but between the different speaking engagements that I'm asked to participate in um, and, and webinars and blogs and Zoom conferences and things like this, it's kind of how I kind of keep my finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also a big believer in community versus competition. Yeah. In other words, speaking with your competition, making friends with them and, and finding out because we live in a very, very, uh, and we work in a very fragmented business. You know, there's, there's, there's no barrier to entry. There's no qualification to become what we do. You know, and we, I think what I do is highly specialized. You know, I've spent 35 plus years honing my skill to be the best that I can be in a variety of disciplines that all relate back to creating events. And all of a sudden, because we are just an event planner or a producer, you're not a gold standard or a silver standard or a platinum standard, I find myself now competing with this young girl, Susie Smith down the road, who the ink's not dry on her business cards yet. She's got a, a lovely laptop on her pop-up office in the spare bedroom or above the garage. 
and she's got pretty pictures on her website and she's got a staff of one. I have a staff of 20. I have three different offices and I've got to compete with her. Mm -hmm. Which brings me back to that point I said earlier, the one thing I know is that the client, the consumer, having weathered a couple of these storms, the client and the consumer always comes back smarter, right? And they always come back smarter because they're well-informed and they all want a deal. They want a better deal. I've already heard people say, oh, but you don't have any business right now. I said, yes, but I'm going to have it next year. And who do you think is going to keep me alive between this year and next year? So you have the right. privilege of being able to work with me again. It's business because you think that this is what the service is, is worth to you. It doesn't mean that's what you should be paying. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. our industry is so fragmented. And because no one's talking to anyone else, what's happening is each person stands to cost cut against the next person. Okay, so that they can get that job and take it out of the pool. And all it does, it brings the profits down like this. And we're right. seeing it in our industry, left, right, and center. Please correct me if I'm wrong. No, totally you are not wrong. I used to charge design fees, plus percentages, plus hourly. I'm at a stage right now where the client's calling to say, I've got this one, this one, and this one. You're the most expensive. They're willing to do it for a, for a, for a, for a flat fee for X amount. This is someone who told me that they don't do this. Right? But the client is telling me they're in the situation. So I picked up the phone and I called her. I said, did you offer them this job for this amount? Because they know what you told me. Right? I said, we need to stick in this together to protect ourselves and to protect our profits. Mm -hmm. Because the client is very, very savvy and they come back smarter every single time. And the last thing we want them to do is for us to fall full and let them to speak to three of us to play one against the other to go and cost cut so that I made 20 times more money I did 10 years ago. Yep. And I'm working 20 times harder now for half the amount of money. And it's kind of sad to see that there's no forum in our business where you could be accredited for, I've been in business for 35 years. I've done $25 million weddings. I've done $10,000 weddings. You know, I've worked on a staircase, the top of a building, and I've worked on the other side of a river. Right? Versus some girl who's got pretty pictures and a, and a flashy website who's now my direct competition, and she's got a party of one. My overhead is millions and millions and millions of dollars and hers is like a, the, the rent of a second bedroom. Yep. Mm -hmm. That is a big problem. I, I do agree with you. I wish there was a way to be certified or licensed for, for what we do. Take the time because the barrier to entry is really small. And this is a conversation I actually had with uh, Colleen back when she very first started. I, I asked the question and she remembers because she brings it up once in a while she wanted to get into event planning. And I said, so what does it take to become an event planner? And her conversation with me, well, you know, you have to ha have knowledge and you have to know that. I said, no, that's not what it takes. What does it take to be an event? And I asked the question a couple of times. And then I posed it this way. So what does it take to be a DJ? Well, you have to know music. I said, no, you have to have speakers. To be an event planner, you have to have a pencil. What you take to a good event planner is a whole different story to have the knowledge to make those events special and to break, create those memories, that's a different story. But the barrier to entry is so low that we get flooded with people who undercut us all the time. And a lot of people think, you know, well, I need a caterer, I need a flask, I need a lighting company, and I need some entertainment, right? Yeah. That's bare bones. It's what we do with it, right? Yeah, it's, you need imagination, too. Yeah. Between like someone who's hitting the play button versus someone who's sitting at the Metropolitan Opera, right? And you're the maestro for all these different pieces. When you think about it, we create live television, right? Yes. We don't have the opportunity to say, sorry, can we do that again? There's no take two in our business. No. And the amount of people that we work with and the caliber of work that we provide 
and the quality of people that we work with, you can't start a conversation with, I'm sorry. I mean, no. that just doesn't work, right? So we have to be the best at what we do. And we are masters of what we do. We're artists, you know. When I look at it sometimes and I think you've got all these different disciplines, we need to tell a story. We create experience, you know. The lights go up, the sound comes down. There's this experience, this food comes out. When the food is coming out, the volume is down. You know, the lights are a certain level. When we're dancing, the volume goes up, the lights start to move. You use all these things and they change all the time. They morph as we storytellers. So there definitely is an art in doing what we're doing. And for someone to be able to say to you, listen, but she's charging X and you're charging X. There's a reason. I'm really good at what I do. Absolutely. And I surround myself with smart people. I have an in-house art department. I have an in-house IT department. I run an agency. I can't compete with Susie Smith down the road. She's willing to do it. Your wedding for twelve thousand dollars to say that you've got another wedding because she has another twelve thousand dollars overheads too. Yep. So that does bring me to another question. You you select your creative partners. I'm assuming very meticulously. What what do you look for in a creative partner? Whether it's a florist or a DJ or a photographer or whatever it might be, the caterer of the venue. What do you look for in your creative partners? First, you know, equal parts. <clears throat> Talent obviously is, is very, very important, but you don't want talent without responsibility. So you want responsible partners who show up on time, who bring more to the table than need. They're willing to work with you on price in certain events. When you can give them more on other events, you do. And you really create a relationship uh, that, that, that's fostered out of respect because without our creative partners, we are nothing. We're just an idea. So. I like to, to communicate very closely. I rotate a lot of our, clo our, our creative partners. I don't just only work with the same people. I've been there, your work all looks the same. A lot of people say, I only, this is my cake lady, this is my flower lady, this is my, then your work looks the same. So I'll prefer to design first and then decide who are the best creative partners to help me tell this story. So there's a coterie of them. And every Tuesday after an event, we do a debrief in the office. And we sit down and we talk to our team internally and we do a complete SWOT analysis. What were the strengths? What were the weaknesses? What were the opportunities? And what were the threats? And we do that for each vendor and each creative partner that we worked with. And if someone just wasn't up to speed, we bring them into the office and say, you know, it looked good, but we had this. This guy had attitude. This wasn't broken down. This wasn't clean. This wasn't tidy. And for me, the job side is so important, and I like a tremendous amount of discipline on the job side. I don't have Starbucks coffees all over the place. We run a job site like a Swiss watch. Nice. So it's not just the end result, it's how we get there. Did you show up all the production meetings? Did you answer, did you respond to all the questions and answers that we gave you? So becoming one of our creative partners, um, you need to be really good at what you do. You need to be a nice person. We want to work with nice people because we're in the business of making other people happy. Yep. And most importantly, have extraordinary talent. Awesome. Well, so I'm, I'm down. I'm good. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but my actual, actually, I uh, had another question for you. Uh, have you ever thought about teaching a workshop type class where people can come in and be a part of it and, and learn from you? And also, do you offer any sort of like internships, you know, for people to learn from you, like in LA or, or New York or where, wherever? In our New York office, we have interns, uh, maybe not this summer, but we always <laughs> have, an, we have a, a, a pretty robust intern, um, 
uh, policy. We have with our art department, our producers, general admin, and then also in our IT. So we have we we probably about take to sometimes 10, 12 interns in a year. Nice. Which is fun for us to do. And the first part of your question, I would love a forum. I love teaching. Um, and and I've, you know, having done this across five continents, traveled 15 and a half million miles around the world, learning what I'm doing, I think I could put a pretty good class together because there's just so many aspects to this. There's also 24 hours in a day. One has to figure out when and how, right? Yep. So the, so the part that I do, the part that I do enjoy the teaching is when I speak, you know, and, and I probably, last year I was probably six speaking engagements, major speaking engagements, and one in Turkey, one in Italy, one in Dubai, uh, one in South Africa. So I travel a great deal and I present quite a lot. And it's not just the pretty pictures. I like to teach people about the business. That's awesome. I think that would be a phenomenal thing for you to, to do. And that may be another way to pivot or another sphere to your, to your business, you know, is to be able to offer um, a master class or a workshop that yeah, leads into, <laughs> we have your first two, uh, two clients. Yeah. Right here. Um, but I think that would be a, a phenomenal thing to do and even offer some sort of a certification, you know, that says that they've had the opportunity to learn you know, from you, yeah. a good thing. Um, yeah, so I, that's been great. It's been phenomenal. I've had a lovely time. Um, if you get any additional questions, you might want to forward them to us. Yeah. And, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. Thank you very much, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed our interview today with Colin. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Player, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to check out the video from the podcast, you can find it on our website, WeddingTalkRadio.com, where you'll also find all the show notes, his books, website links, social media links, and anything that was mentioned throughout the podcast on that page. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.